0: Well, good morning. All right, I was just checking to see if it worked for me as well. It works for Pastor Chris, okay? Uh, As Pastor Chris said earlier, just welcome. Thank you for being here this morning. And especially if you are new with us, don't forget to uh, scan that code or just text in that number because we want to get to know you and give you a gift. So welcome. Thank you for being here and worshiping with us. Today. I want to start out this morning with a story because who doesn't like a story at Christmas time, right? It kind of brings to mind images of kids sitting on grandpa's lap by the fireplace and stockings all hung up in a row listening to a story. And so I want to tell us a story, but I will warn you this may not be the story to tell your kids or grandkids on Christmas Eve. Because it's a little bit sad. It's a lot sad and a lot ironic, but it's 100% true. And it's the story of a little boy named Alfred. Now, Alfred was born in Stockholm, Sweden, He was one of eight children, but only four of them actually lived into adulthood. Don't worry, it gets more sad. And Alfred himself was kind of a sickly child growing up. He didn't attend normal school, but he did have tutors come in and give him a a pretty well-rounded education. And through these various tutors, he developed a love at a young age for science, especially chemistry. And around this time, while Alfred was young, his dad moved to St. Petersburg, where he opened up an armaments factory, which makes weapons. And this proved to be a pretty successful trade, a factory for them, because in the region they were in, the region was in the midst of a war. For all you history buffs, it was the Crimean War. But when the war ended, it kind of proved to be troublesome for their factory, because then they had to transition to making new things, not weapons. They had to start making steamboat machinery, and they just weren't really into that. And so it was difficult for their factory to survive, and the factory ended up going bankrupt. Don't worry, it gets more sad. Well, Alfred eventually grew into a young man, as little boys tend to do. And Alfred went to go try to rebuild his father's factory to kind of bring it back up. And he started exploring some new ideas, some new products and ventures. And remembering his love for chemistry as a little boy, he began to explore the world of chemicals and explosives which is not too far a jump from the weaponry that his dad had initially built the company on. And he soon began to dabble with a highly explosive and yet unmastered liquid compound called nitroglycerin. And this proved to be a very smart move on his part, because up until this point, there wasn't even anything nearly as powerful as nitroglycerin. But here comes the sad part. This would also prove to be a devastating move for him, because one day his now very successful nitroglycerin factory exploded, killing his younger brother, Emil, and several other people. But Alfred was determined, and he didn't let this deter his work with explosives, and so he continued on to invent a blasting cap, a device to more safely detonate the highly volatile and explosive chemical he was working with, as well as a widely used explosive Named for its immense power, dynamite. In fact, by the time that Alfred died, he had created a business empire with factories around the world. 90 factories creating explosives and ammunition. Now, I did say this was also a little ironic story. This is where the story gets a little Odd. while Alfred actually died in the year 1896, he had kind of a strange encounter with death about 10 years before he died. See, a few years earlier, Alfred's older brother died. And the newspapers somehow got the names mixed up and thought that it was Alfred who had died. And so they put in the newspaper, they even wrote an obituary about Alfred. And Alfred reads this newspaper and the the newspapers are proclaiming the merchant of death is dead. Of course... The newspapers quickly realized their mistake and and redacted that. But you have to wonder what kind of impact this had on Alfred to read his own obituary and then seeing that he would have been remembered as the merchant of death. Now, I told you this was a sad story but also a lot ironic. Here's the twist. At his death, Alfred left a will. And in this will, he left his entire fortune, which at this point was pretty substantial, to the development of a series of prizes. The most notable of these prizes is what we know today as... The Nobel Peace Prize. Alfred Nobel, this merchant of death, was the man responsible for the Nobel Peace Prize, which is awarded to, and I quote from their website, the person who shall have done the most or the best work for fraternity between the nations and the abolition or reduction of standing armies and the formation and spreading of peace congresses. How's that for ironic? This man who literally spent his entire lifetime weaponizing wars, creating explosives, And what would eventually be used as weapons of mass destruction and war and death would leave behind a legacy of peace. Isn't that ironic? And this actually makes sense, though, if you think about it, because for the most part, people want peace. We want to leave behind peace. We want to be remembered for peace. I mean, reading his obituary and he's thinking, oh my goodness, I've got to change something if I'm remembered as the merchant of death. We put on our headstones, rest in peace. Peace. And while surely, yes, I know there are people in this world whose aim in life is to create war and chaos, overwhelmingly, as human beings, we have been working towards this world peace since really the beginning of the world. Every war that's fought is fought so that in the end, a better world can exist, right? Or at least in the eyes of whoever it is starting the war. And war is just kind of viewed as a necessary evil. But the goal is for something different, something better than whatever it was that existed before the war. Every political overturn, every fight against injustice, every movement could arguably be aimed at creating a better world. Peace. So... Why, then, does it seem that we have made no progress? Why does it seem that even though we've been working on this forever, no one's gotten even really close to this concept of world peace? I mean, you can look around at our world you can see that we certainly are not at peace. I mean, just open up any newspaper, click on any article, scroll on Facebook. I mean, walk out your, your front door, and we can all see our world is not at peace. It seems as if this idea of world peace has become the ultimate unobtainable like the Holy Grail or the fountain of youth, this long-lost treasure that we dream about but can never quite find. And yet I find myself in a bit of a dilemma here because every year, when December rolls around, we start seeing signs and cards and decorations in Hobby Lobby that say, peace on earth. And it feels like we're just supposed to ignore everything that's going on around us. The unrest. And just embrace for, for a month or so or however long you decorate for Christmas Embrace this idea of peace, world peace, and if I'm being honest, sometimes it feels like a bit of a joke. It feels like a farce, like a little game we play at Christmas time to wish away all the violence in the world. And for one month, pretend that all is calm and all is bright. Plaster on a smile for your mom's Christmas card picture. We'll deal with the world again at the beginning of the new year. But for right now, world peace. Peace on earth. How are we expected to do this year after year after year? Or maybe I'm the only one that feels this way. But how are we supposed to live at peace with this world? The funny thing is that while many people actually have spent their whole lives pursuing world peace, Jesus actually didn't promise that. In fact, he promised the exact opposite. Take a look at the verses that were read for us earlier from John 16. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. And then here it is. Here on earth you might... If you're unlucky, maybe. No, it says here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Now, this message today is just full of irony, at least in my mind. Because the time that Jesus is saying this to his disciples, he's actually getting ready to leave the world. He's getting ready to actually go to literal heaven. It kind of feels like you show up to work and on your way in for your shift, your coworker is on their way out and they say, "Listen, today's a bad day. Nothing is working. Everything's going wrong. The boss is in a bad mood and the coffee maker is broken. Good luck. Have a great day." And they go out. And you're like, "Thanks." The warning, I guess, as you're on your way into your shift. Like it kind of feels like that. Jesus is getting ready to leave, and then he gives them this warning. But the point of Jesus telling them this is to assure them that none of this is a surprise to him. None of the trials and sorrows of the world come as a surprise to God. And while we are still here, And Jesus has returned to heaven. He lived here too. He walked in the midst of this turmoil. He lived in the mess and the grind of this sinful, cruel, and hateful world that we get to call home. He walked past the beggars and the ill and the blind every day. He lived in a time of war and oppression. See, none of this was a surprise to him. But then, Jesus promised peace. And you might kind of scoff or roll your eyes and say, okay, yeah, that's easy for him to say. He's in literal heaven. Like he came to earth, he clocked in his time, and now he's checked out. But if you look at the way that Jesus lived on earth, you'll see that he did demonstrate a life of peace. Even in the midst of a world of unrest and brokenness. A world that would literally betray and abandon and kill him on a cross. And yet, ironically enough, Jesus found peace. And he promised that peace to his followers, to us. So how did Jesus find this peace? Based on these verses in John alone, I noticed a couple reasons that Jesus was able to live at peace with the world. Number one, he wasn't alone. He wasn't alone. Even when everyone else left him, when the whole world was against him and abandoned him to die, he said, I am not alone. Why? Why? Because my Father is with me. See, regardless of what you may believe about God, most people would at least venture to admit that somehow God is everywhere. He sees everything. He knows everything. If you've read the book Great Gatsby, you might remember this description of this billboard on the side of the road with these eyes painted on it and while they were never called this you can tell that the main character kind of thought of those eyes as the eyes of God because they just watched everything and while some people see this as like a threat oh no God is watching me all the time Jesus actually recognized that this was meant to be a comfort And if we've chosen to follow Jesus, if we do obey God, then it is a comfort because God is actually with us as well. In the midst of a broken world, we're not alone. Jesus found comfort, found peace in this. But not only that, Jesus has actually overcome the world. He says, take heart, be brave. Don't be discouraged. I've actually overcome the world. That word overcome is a battle word. It means to conquer, to carry off to victory, victory over all foes. See, it's like when the hero comes in in your favorite superhero movie and all seems lost, no hope is left, everyone else is wounded, and it seems like evil has won. And then out of nowhere, the hero comes swooping in and takes the victory and good prevails, the end of the movie until the clip after the credits. (laughs) See, there's a reason that superhero movies are so popular. Because we like these scenes of, of victory, of good winning over evil. And the superhero in life is Jesus. Because when he died, just, just think about this. When he died, when he came back to life, he proved that he had power and authority over the strongest hold we know of, the power of death itself. And nothing in this world, no, no war, no ruler, no power or authority, no virus, no terror or enemy on this planet can compete with Jesus Christ. He is more powerful He is more worthy. He is more able than anything or anyone to save this world. And he already did. Jesus has already overcome the world. So then the question remains... Okay, Jesus was able to do this. How can we live at peace with the world? Because even if we know all of this, it can be hard to live it out in the day to day, right? How do we live at peace with the world? I'll give you three practical things that we can do to live at peace in the world, and they come from Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 4. In fact, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. This is a familiar passage that you've probably heard before. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. How do we live at peace with the world? Number one, trust God. See, we put our trust in a lot lesser things, right? We we put our trust in chairs. We trust that when we sit down in a chair, it won't break. We put our trust in cars to not just explode when we turn them on and start driving. We do that every day. We put our trust in our pets to not bite us when we feed them or pet them. See, we put our trust in these things, which are are so insignificant if you think about it. Why would we not trust that God... The most powerful being to ever exist is capable of handling everything that is going on in this world. I mean, why is that such a a far stretch to, to trust in a chair but not in God? I mean, if Will Smith was able to sing, Don't Worry. About a thing, because every little thing. Okay, some of you know that song. If Will Smith was able to sing that in the middle of a zombie apocalypse, some of you know what I'm talking about, then surely we can have that same attitude in our everyday lives. Right? Don't worry about a thing, trust God to handle what he's created, which is the entire world. Trust God. Number two, tell God. Tell God. Doesn't it always feel a little bit better if you've got something going on in life and you're able to vent to someone? Like, it didn't actually really change anything in the situation, but just being able to talk to someone about what's going on in your life makes a world of difference, right? Tell God. Talk to God. Pray. And yes, he already knows what's going on, but doesn't it help to just share that burden with someone? I mean, it certainly isn't gonna hurt anything. It's not like he can't handle it. Tell God what you see in the world. When you flip on the news and you see something that disturbs your heart, tell God about it. Tell him what's troubling you, the things that you see that are literally out of your control. Because guess what? They're not out of his control. And he can do something about it, and he often does when we bring those things to him. So number two, tell God. Number three, thank God. Take time to stop, to to just step back and look at everything that he has already done. Have you ever been in just like a difficult situation, and you've been mulling over the solution for days or or even months, and and you're just like, I I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the situation is. Sometimes it helps when you stop worrying about it, and you step back, and you get a little bit of perspective. It's kind of like if you go to a museum, you don't walk up to the painting and put your nose up to it. You're never going to be able to see the picture. You have to step back. Gain some perspective, and then you can see the whole painting. When we thank God for what he has already done, it gives us that perspective. It helps us recognize that despite everything that is still wrong in this world, there is a lot that he has already done that reminds us that he is still working. Thank God for those things. When you're tempted to worry about the state of our nation, step back and look at how God has protected and guided our nation through some incredibly dark times in the past. Isn't he able to do it again? When you read about wars and catastrophes going on around the world, thank God for the freedoms that we do have here and for his ability to redeem even the most broken and devastated parts of our world. Can't he redeem once again? See, this can be difficult to do sometimes. I'm not saying that it's easy. But the more that we train our minds to thank God... The more we'll begin to realize the big and small ways he's working in the world, even when we're tempted to think he's not. Thank God. And then number four, trust God. Now, some of you are saying, You said three. This is four. Yes. Hold on. It's okay. Because one and four are actually the same. Trust God. See, because living at peace with the world actually begins and ends with trusting God. See, when you start with trust and then tell God what you see and thank him, then it actually leads us into deeper trust. See, I mean, think about this. Doesn't your trust in a person grow when they've demonstrated to you that they're trustworthy? Like you you might have already trusted them and then they prove once again that they're trustworthy and then you trust them more. Don't you trust someone more when they've proven to you that they're present and that they are listening and that they're capable? It just builds your trust in them. Trust God Tell God, thank God, and then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I want to take a moment this morning in closing to proclaim God's worthiness his ability to redeem and transform this world and help us live at peace in the midst of it. We feel the world is broken. We feel the shadows deepen. But we know that the dark cannot stop the light from getting through. Because he has conquered the grave and is worthy of all praise. So the worship team is going to come back up and lead us through that song that we sang earlier. Where we collectively ask, is he worthy? And then together we proclaim, he is. He is. Would you pray with me? Lord, you alone are worthy. You are the only one who holds the world in your hands. And Father, when we're tempted to think that you're not working, open our eyes. Help us to see what you are doing in this world around us so that we can live at peace with this broken and sinful world. Not because we're okay with the state that it's in, but because we recognize that you, God, are in control. You have overcome this world, you will redeem this world, and that hope gives us peace So, Father, we proclaim this morning that you alone are worthy of our praise. You alone are worthy of all glory because you alone redeem this world. Father, we sing to you now. Hear our praises because you are so worthy. It's in your name we pray. Amen.